In a world where good news is hard to find, WAVA and One Heart DC present Good News for the City. We're here to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and what his body, the church, is doing to spread this good news in the Washington, D.C. metro area, including Northern Virginia, Maryland, and D.C. As Jesus said in John 17, Father, that they may be one just as we are one. Welcome to Good News for the City. It's the gospel, the gospel that makes a way. Greetings, folks, and welcome to Good News for the City, the radio broadcast ministry partnership between WAVA Radio and One Heart DC right here on Life Changing Talk Radio, 105.1 FM, WAVA. My name is Dennis Williams. I'm director of ministry for WAVA Radio, and I want to welcome you to today's broadcast. Well, folks, I'd love for you to listen as I read a, a parable I know you've heard time and again, just Put your listening ears on and and hear these words anew. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, well, go and do likewise. We're going to explore what it looks like today to go and do likewise. So let's talk about it. You folks know, of course, here to get us started, to introduce our guest for the day is my good friend and co-host of Good News for the City, Pastor Brian Bales, Senior Pastor of Christian Fellowship Church in Ashburn, Virginia. Hey, brother, God bless you, man. Good to see you this morning. Thank you, my friend. Good to be back again and talk about the good news of the gospel and to share the truth here on WAVA or podcast or however people are listening amen. to it in this amen, moment. Amen. One of the things I love about this show is that we don't shy away from subjects that lots of times people want to shy away from. Sometimes that gets us some great emails. Sometimes, Dennis, that gets <laughs> some emails of people who are otherwise not happy. Well, here's the thing. The good news is the good news for every situation no matter what it is. And we're supposed to take the truth of the gospel and apply it into every part of life, even those parts of life um, that we're uncomfortable with, even those parts of life that we might want to avoid. And so I'm just going to dive straight in today because I'm excited that we're going to talk to two people today who co-authors a book called Reparations, A Christian Call for Repentance and Repair. So with us today, we have Duke Kwan and Gregory Thompson. Let me tell you a little bit about both of them before we dive in. Duke has an MDiv and a THM from Gordon Conwell, and he's the leading pastor, the lead pastor of Grace Meridian Hill, which is a neighborhood congregation in the Grace DC network com- committed to building cross-cultural community right here in the Washington DC metro area. He is active in public conversation around race, equity, and racial repair in the American church, and he lectures on these topics around the country. His work has appeared in places such as the Washington Post, Christianity Today and The Witness. And so certainly we're glad to have him here and speak into a topic that we talk about uh, a lot here, what it looks like uh, to live out the gospel and to deal with some of the racial issues that we have. Joining him as well as his co-author is Gregory Thompson, PhD from the University of Virginia. 
He's a lot of things, uh, but let me just tell you what some of them are. He's a pastor, scholar, artist, and producer whose work focuses on race and equity as well here in the United States. He serves as the executive director of Voices Underground. That is an initiative to build a national memorial to the Underground Railroad outside of Philadelphia. He's a research fellow in African-American heritage at Lincoln University and is a visiting theologian for mission at Grace Mosaic Church there in Washington, D.C. He's also the co-creator of Union. It is a musical, a soul and hip-hop based musical about the 1968 sanitation worker strike. He lives in Charlottesville, Virginia, but we have them both here today joining us in this conversation. So, gentlemen, thank you for coming Great and thank you, you for joining us. Uh, thank so, you. Our as pleasure. We, Thanks yeah. for having us. So we're going to dive into this conversation, but before we dive into conversation, uh, we all know this, that uh, some subjects are hard to talk about no matter what, but they're even more difficult when people enter into the conversation with differing definitions of certain words. Uh, Greg, I know uh, is a PhD student, someone who wrote a dissertation, myself as someone who wrote a dissertation, it's the same way with your master's degree. There's usually something in the project, something in the dissertation that has a definition of terms that lets people understand and know this is how we're using this term in this conversation. And certainly in the world we live in with a lot of diversity of thought, a lot of diversity of culture, many times people use the same words, but define them differently. My wife and I joke about this. We use the word clean, but she means sanitize and I mean organize. And we run up against some problems when we say clean. And that's just about a house. Now we're talking about some significant things that have been a lot out there in culture and have been there for a very long time, whether we wanted to deal with them or not, like white supremacy, racism, and things like reparation. So let's start there. One of you can choose to go. Let's, let's define some terms before we hop in today. Let's first start with white supremacy and racism. What do you mean by that and how do you address it in this book? So racism, as we define it, you know, has, has uh, several aspects to it. One is the classification of people into uh, distinct races based on their, um, you know, kind of putatively uh, fixed physical traits. That's the first thing. Uh, well, those would be races. Um, the second is to in, impute certain moral or intellectual um, characteristics, capacities into those groups um, based on those characteristics. So, you know, like white people are, are good or African-Americans are bad in the, in the case of, of white supremacy as we're talking about. And then thirdly, to, to, place those people in a certain place in the social order to really relegate them to the margins of a social order based on, on those racial characteristics and those, you know, allegedly moral and intellectual capacities that go along with those. Now that's what racism is. And we mean it. And white supremacy simply is a description of a, of an entire social order that is based on that kind of racism, but has created a value system where people that are designated as white are really at the center and receive the majority uh, in some ways exclusive benefits of, of a society and the people that it deems to be not white um, are correlatively you know disempowered and you know um, marginalized and so when we talk about racism it's that classification white supremacy is a cultural order based on that and we really see as the book says that american culture historically has been just such a social order yeah now of course there are certain people already who are where it's like, all right, I'm not sure that I'm going to listen to this or I'm all in. And so here's what we want you to do in the rest part of this conversation is let's not draw conclusions about where you think we're going to go. Let's actually listen and have a conversation around these difficult problems and challenges, because that's a lot of times some of the difficulties. We don't actually listen. We don't know how to have a conversation much anymore, especially if there are terms that are used that people, again, that you just define so well, Greg, thank you for that. 
that people might have different definitions with. Um, also, there's this term that you use. It's you know in the title of the book, reparations, a Christian call for repentance and repair. Um, it wouldn't take much to look that up on the internet, turn to whatever your preferred social media outlet is or where you get your news from. And that term might come up and they might have different definitions of that. So when you guys talk about reparations in your book, what does it mean? What does it include? And maybe a better term is what does it also not include? Well, I think most people, when they hear the word reparations, what they immediately assume in their heads that it means is um, a government initiated uh, redistribution of material wealth based upon race. Mm-hmm. Uh, our, our definition might include certain components of that, but we uh, want to get more at the moral heart of what reparations is all, is all about. First of all, the word, uh, the root of the word is repair. Uh, so we're talking about repairing broken things, um, putting the pieces back together, repair, repairing lives unto wholeness. Um, specifically, uh, we believe that reparations, as um, told by the story of scripture, uh, has two uh, moral hearts or two moral logics to it. One is the ethic of restitution, uh, which is simply that when things have been stolen, uh, God commands that we give it back and not simply confess our guilt, uh, but actually to return that which has been sinfully stolen. Secondly, we uh, also um, pull on the ethic of restoration, and that's uh, related to the parable of the Good Samaritan that Dennis read earlier. And that is simply that in the face of theft, when a theft has been committed, even if you are not personally culpable because of the mandates of neighbor love, we are called to restore uh, those things that have been taken from our neighbor. And so whether by restitution or by restoration, in either case, reparations means returning to victims of theft that which has been sinfully taken and stolen from them, we believe that there has been a massive cultural theft over many generations committed against African-Americans. And we believe that the church is called to lead the way in uh, repairing that harm. So for those who are listening, hopefully they, they saw this already or rather heard this, this connection you made between the call to repair broken things. You can even take scripture that says, you know, uh, I have a friend of mine that reminds us, he says, behold, I'm making all things new. I'm not making all new things that he is in the restoration reparations approach to the very world that we live in. Hopefully you saw this connection, why this is a church issue, but in case they missed it, why don't you guys, you know, make it very, very clear that as a church, this isn't something we can say, well, that belongs in this sector or this sector, but rather it also belongs in the ordained section called the church that God has created. Yeah, well, that, that's really central to the the, the book's argument. Um, this is not to say that other institutions or that the, even the state doesn't have a responsibility to redress things that has been that have that have been stolen. We absolutely believe that it that those institutions do, but we believe that the church has a unique uh, calling to do that. Part of that is because of uh, the kind of complicated history of the Christian Church in America. Many many churches, especially those who are who are um, you know would be designated largely white have um, have at times been very complicit in the the theft that Duke was just describing um, and uh, have actually lent moral legitimacy to these actions, whether it's enslavement or whether it's Jim Crow or whether it's actually, you know, um, violence Uh, Mm -hmm. churches have, have lent credibility to those things. um, As you know, uh, we saw in some of the 
and the Tulsa massacre just just a hundred years ago. The churches were very um, white churches basically justified that. Um, but churches have also been bystanders uh, in some of these things, um, and have certainly been beneficiaries of the kind of theft that that white supremacy has wrought. So even though there are other parts of the church, which you know the abolitionist movement and things like that that has resisted white supremacy. I think it's important that we understand that the church has a very complicated history, mm-hmm. but also it has a moral mandate as Duke just elaborated that we have, we, we have an eighth commandment about <laughs> that teaches us what to do with respect to theft. Like we don't, we don't steal. And when we do steal, we, we give it back. And then the last thing I would say, um, you know, Brian, is that it's important for the American, American Christians to realize that we are a missionary church, um, that we're not an establishment or a state church. We're a missionary church in a culture um, that we can look around and see the evidence of this theft everywhere around us. And um, I think what I want to do is really urge your, your audience to remember that, because saying this, this social wickedness doesn't have anything to do with me. Why should I respond? That is not something that a missionary church with any integrity says. <laughs> we wouldn't say it in any other culture, any other context. If you brought somebody home from a, for a missionary conference at your church and they said, well, you know, we live in Rwanda, but I didn't really do anything, have commit, committed the genocide. So like, why should I be talking about that? You would probably not send them back to the field. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly the kind of thing that we need to do here. But I think that's the I, biggest argument I've, I've ever heard, Greg, is that just exactly, sorry, Brian, um, just exactly what you just said, Greg, is the, is the biggest argument and the <clears throat> most often spoken argument. Hey, man, I didn't do anything. Why do I need to deal with this? So thank you for that. That's very yeah, helpful. Yeah. And thinking yeah. about it, like Christologically, like our whole faith is predicated upon a Christ who, who knew no sin and yet became sin for us that in him we yes. might become... You know, the rich, riches of God. And so I think that there is this sense in which we have to remember that for a Christian on Monday morning, I mean, on Sunday morning to celebrate that Christ who was sinless died for us to say on Monday, I didn't do that. Why should I take responsibility for it is a sign of deep moral <laughs> yeah, and theological yeah. incoherence. Well, yeah, what you're doing is you're, you're helping people understand um, the call differently than, than they're trying to frame it. If I'm following you correctly, yes. uh, more often than not, they frame it around blame. Uh, but instead, this is about calling. Uh, this is about what he's created the church to do. This is an example of Philippians chapter two of serving in those ways. And I really appreciate that. I'm sure there are many places uh, in your book that you you play this out in scripture. And we're going to encourage people uh, to go and get the book. And we're going to tell you how to get it in a bit. Reparations, a Christian call for repentance and repair. Uh, certainly, Dennis read earlier the, the parable of the Good Samaritan, Luke chapter 10. That's one of the places that you make a case for reparations. Uh, but in the book, you identify five characteristics of, of what it means to love your neighbor that we see there in the Good Samaritan. Uh, quickly, let's kind of walk through those if we can. What are they? What, why are they essential? Yeah. Um, if you look at, first of all, the parable of the Good Samaritan is Jesus's creative exposition of the second great commandment, love your mm-hmm. neighbor as yourself, uh, Leviticus 19. And as he uh, unfolds this story, it's clear that it's marked by a couple characteristics. Number one, that this neighbor love is essential. This is a mandate. So as we talk about reparations being essentially at its heart, neighbor love, what we're saying is this is not just when it feels good to you. This is something we must do, uh, morally speaking. Um, Secondly, we describe it as universal, meaning it is a call that's placed upon every person, especially Christians, whether or not you yourself are responsible for the thefts 
before you, right? So we just talked about this. This is not only about culpability. This is about calling as a Christian, the call to love. Thirdly, it's personal, not just transactional. We're called to actually give ourselves to this work, not just sprinkle out uh, a couple of resources and, and tell ourselves that our, our responsibility is finished and satisfied. Um, fourthly, we talk about sacrifice. It's sacrificial love, where we're called to really give up everything. The, the good Samaritan uh, lays down his life, um, his resources, his time, his convenience, his comfort, and even hands over a blank check, as it were, to the innkeeper and says, charge it all to me, charge it all to me. Um, and then lastly, supernatural, where Dr. King, especially when Talking about this uh, parable, um, he often referred to the impossibility of it, that it must uh, entail a transformation of one's heart, or that's the prerequisite for us actually uh, to be able to fulfill the call to neighbor love. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we might find expression of this in public policy or in church mandates, but ultimately um, at the heart of it, this needs to be a work of God in the human heart. So I love what you're doing here. And again, anytime that we have the opportunity to understand something in a more biblical manner and how it's played out, because I think there's, we're all guilty from time to time of, of approaching with preconceived ideas, allowing our ideas to be formed by someplace other than scripture and the God who inspired them. So you're, you're making this very clear through here that um, ultimately what you're talking about is loving your neighbor. Yet, we've alluded to it at the beginning, at least uh, once or twice now, that this can often be a divisive subject. And so in your opinion, then, if this is really about loving your neighbor, why is this such a divisive subject? Well, I think that's, that's a really important moral question that I, I, I think every Christian and every, certainly every Christian leader needs to ask. Why are we comfortable talking about some things and that we would cry about them when we hear about them and they would be so moving to us and feel at the heart of our, of of our public witness Um, say in the evangelical church, abortion would be an example of this where, um, where people are uh, and the sort of safety of children, right? These are things that we recognize. And yet there are other things that as soon as we begin to talk about them, um, you, uh, you begin to hear, um, or experience within yourself a very deep resistance, um, a sense of offense and insult and even danger. I think that's one of the things we're actually witnessing in much of the American evangelical movement right now, as we're talking about race is a sense of, of threat. And I think that's a very important spiritual diagnostic question that you just asked. Why is it that we can talk about Israel and Palestine, that we can talk about, um, we can talk about abortion, that we can talk about the criminal justice system, that we can talk about food uh, sourcing, that we, we can talk about the ethics of professional basketball. But when we begin to talk about race in America, and especially when black people begin to talk about race in America, what happens in the evangelical church is a massive resistance. That was actually the term that was used, one we're seeing right now, actually. And I think it is a sign of, again, as I've said before, I think a, a form of, um, of cultural um, complicity. And I think we have to remember that a lot of the American evangelical church has made its, has built its identity around the idea that America is the, is the good country in the world. And all these other places are the bad country and that we are the, the city on a hill. We are the bearers of God's purposes in the world. And I think that that um, that is deeply problematic. And so I think we just need to really think about that and that our Christian leaders ought to help us explore that because we see that as a sign of real spiritual Mm -hmm. sickness. 
So one of the things that we know with any sort of conversation, especially around an issue like this, too often it comes in a soundbite and this time that we have together still feels very short. But before we get to the end of our time together, I'd like to ask you to do two things. One, could you talk about um, maybe a story that specifically stands out that you share maybe in the book, in your mind, and why that matters? And then follow up with that with, you know, what's your hopes for the ongoing conversation with the church? Well, one of the stories in the book that that I've always appreciated is, um, I guess this is chapter three, as we're talking about um, the story of Thomas Jefferson and the founding of, of the University of Virginia and then the discovery of um, the, the graveyard for enslaved um, Africans uh, and the immeasurable distance uh, between their realities by design and those, um, uh, the white members of the, the local community there. Um, I, what I appreciate about that story is that we're trying to communicate an, an essential contradiction that lies at the heart of our American identity and our American Christian identity. Um, it is not to say that everything that this country is about or everything that the American church is about is all evil, but it certainly is not to say that it's all good and righteous either. And I think we have a deep discomfort with embracing the complexities and the contradictions that are inherent in these stories. And this is essentially what we're trying to do is to say there, there's, a, there's a, a, a mix of realities, of truths and lies, of uh, beauty and of deep, vile brokenness that we need mm-hmm. to grapple with. And usually we're only uh, able to choose one or the other to the exclusion of the other. Yeah. Um, and uh, we, we need to jump in and embrace this. And uh, we're, we're grateful to tell these stories for that reason. And what's your hope then to continue this conversation, uh, certainly past the book, past this time together and into the future? Well, yeah, it, yeah, it, I th- sorry, go ahead. Greg, no, no, please go. Well, I, I think that um, what we hope is that the American church will have the, the kind of historical knowledge and the theological convictions and the moral freedom to actually embrace this call to repair this culture from the profound damage done by its racial history. We see that a lot of American Christians really care about race. They care about um, restoring this. And our hope is that this could be a tool to spark a much, much larger, much more comprehensive conversation where the American church could take responsibility for reparations in this culture and lead the way toward our healing. Yeah. And so hopefully now people have been listening and they've been like, hey, this is definitely caught uh, my attention, maybe in a way differently than it was before this. We certainly have lots of people uh, who listen to the show who are already uh, at the same place of uh, conclusion that you are bringing us to through your book, Reparations, a Christian Call for Repentance and Repair. Uh, but one of the things that I have here in my show notes is uh, something I think that that could be missed really easily that you know, a lot of times at the end of the show, we say, hey, how can we get your book? How can we get that sort of stuff? And one of the things that you're saying here is that that you want people to order from uh, Black-owned independent bookstores. Uh, and maybe people don't even know where a Black-owned independent bookstore is. And so if they can do that, where would they go to find out about that? If you go to our book website, reparationsproject.com, uh, we actually have a link at the bottom there uh, where people can find a listing of uh, Black-owned bookstores, independent stores all across the country in different cities yeah. across the nation. So, well, gentlemen, um, we do say this uh, from time to time on the show. It's gone way too fast and we have to bring you back. And both of those things are true. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your effort and your work and not shying away from the good news of the gospel into every situation. So Greg and Duke, just a wonderful time today. Dennis, um, like many times when we gather together, 
uh, I leave this conversation both convicted, challenged, and inspired. Amen, brother. I, when, I even, uh, when I even saw the time, I almost got whiplash because I thought, man, I just, I got to hear more from these guys. And um, one of the things that, that uh, Duke said was this mix of realities, man. I, that just, um, just hit me really hard because it's, it's not all good. And it's not all bad. And so, guys, we're so appreciative. We're going to have you back again for sure. God bless you both. Hey, folks. Hey, if you want to, if you want to learn more, you can always go to goodnewsforthecity.com. But, but listen to this one, reparationsproject.com. That's reparationsproject.com. Please go there. Um, look for some Black-owned independent bookstores. Get the book. I'm going to get it. I don't have it yet. I'm going to get it. I'm going to read it. So when I have these guys, when we have these guys back, we can be more informed, huh, Brian? So um, God bless you all. Thank you all. Um, And always remember, folks, I I just appreciate you joining us so much. Brian and I appreciate you joining us so much. I know that uh, Greg and Duke do. So thank you again. We'll see you again next week. And always remember, it's the gospel that makes a way. God bless you all. It's the gospel, the gospel that makes a way. Thank you for joining us and listening to Good News for the City, a gospel partnership between WAVA and One Heart DC. This is a partnership, movement which celebrates and seeks to accelerate the move of the gospel into the Washington, D.C. metro area. It is our prayer that through this radio broadcast ministry of Good News for the City, we will see transformed lives and communities and more and more people responding to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to help bring unity to Bible-believing people and churches in order to multiply our impact in our city, and we would love for you to join us. You can learn more at goodnewsforthecity.com. That's goodnewsforthecity.com. Or you can go to wava.com keyword good news. Or you can call us at 703-807-2266. 703-807-2266. And remember, it's the gospel that makes a way.